However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. small congregation and I have an awfully big mouth so I'm just gonna say this welcome Donna <laughs> Donna Donna you'll see oh my gosh those three beautiful ladies okay so all three of the beautiful ladies there are in our women's Bible study and Donna is actually sister-in-law to Chris who has been coming Chris and Tom so welcome we are so thrilled to see you and that kind of takes me into, um, we are getting up and running for women's Bible study. Um, I have 39 people that have now uh, registered and a couple other people that have said, oh, we're talking to a friend. So if you have a friend, there's still room. We love serving the women of our community in this way. And I am getting very excited. As a matter of fact, this morning, um, this is a way of transitioning to 
Sunday school. My husband, for those of you who don't know, uh, leads Sunday school. It starts at 8.15 every Sunday morning. And we have been slowly going through one psalm at a time for a very long time. And this morning I realized that as we have gone through the psalm, what Robert has done is taking us through the psalms and teaching us the, the wisdom in the psalms has also been a training in prayer because David, a lot of those are prayers, and David is um, giving us an example of how to go before the Lord. And Robert's been sort of training our hearts. So um, you are welcome. Anyone who has not come to Sunday school, you are welcome to be there. Uh, it's really a good training. Um, I don't know. We've got a long way to go to finish the Psalms, and we're taking them one at, one at a time. We've been there for a long time. So anyhow, we love that. Um, what other things do we need to have? Uh, I have a little announcement. Announcement? Go ahead. Um, there is a card back on the table for Jerry and Iris. Um, it was their anniversary, or their, I'm not sure what day, but... Oh, I think it is the 22nd. Anyway, so if you know Jerry and Iris and would, would like to sign the card. You know, we get these bulletins all the time, and I don't know if you read them thoroughly. You probably don't. I don't. But I wanted to point something out, because on the back, um, under talking about our, um, at, at the very top, it says that our mission is to glorify God through becoming, being, and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our purpose here. From the beginning of the service to the end of the service, we are trying to glorify God in, um, and to change us to be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I am going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we have sung and called out and welcomed the Holy Spirit here, but we welcome Father God be in our midst this morning. Jesus, Lord and Savior, um, you are our heart's desire, and we ask you to change us, to mold us and shape us into effective disciples, that we may walk in this world when we walk out of here on Sunday morning, that we may walk wherever you send us in the world and be a light unto you. Open our eyes to see needs and our mouths to speak truth that we might be the disciples of this era. We're in a very specific era. You've been walking us through this time period and, and we look to you, Jesus. We look to you. We ask you to make us effective in all we do according to your perfect purposes. And now, Father, I ask you to uh, speak to us through the music and through our pastor, and that you would come and bless each of us through this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Loving compassion. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The supreme happiness of life, Victor Hugo said, is the conviction that we are loved. Love is the first requirement for mental health, declared Sigmund Freud. Unfortunately, many people go through life feeling unloved and unlovable. Perhaps they were constantly criticized or ignored as children, 
or their family was torn about by conflict. Perhaps they made choices about important issues in life which only confirmed their belief that they were unworthy of love. This may be your experience, but listen, I have good news. No matter the reason, your feelings aren't telling you the truth. God loves you, and if you begin to see yourself the way that God sees you, your attitudes will begin to change. If he didn't love you, would Christ have gone willingly to die for you? He did. The Bible says that we know this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. God loves you. Hammer that truth into your heart and your mind every day, and it will make all the difference. And the hope for today, God's word is his love letter to each one of us, his children. And by reading it, we are reminded of that high king of heaven, left his throne, came to earth, and conquered the grave so that we might be set free from the chains of death and that we'll live with him forever. That is true love.
Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving and we Ephesians 6, 10 through 19. Last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand safe against all strategies and tricks of Satan. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world, and and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy whenever he attacks. And when it is all over, you will be standing up. But to do this, you will need the strong belt of truth and the breastplate of God's approval. Wear shoes that are able to speed you on as you preach the good news of peace with God. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. And you will need the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray all the time. Ask God for anything in line with the Holy Spirit's wishes. Plead with him, reminding him of your needs, and keep praying earnestly for all Christians everywhere. Now join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day with grateful hearts. We thank you for your love and mercy that never fail us. As we gather today, we ask that you bless those persons who are on our prayer page and for unspoken requests. May your will be done in each of their lives, Father God. We ask for your guidance, your strength, and healing. 
We give you thanks and praise for what you are doing. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. Good morning. I'm going to read Psalm 15 to you this morning. It's a checklist to see whether you're operable. Like in a plane, when you, before you take off, you have a checklist. Make sure everything's going to work. You don't want anything to fail. This is for us. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a violent person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. I'm going to use Psalm 23 as a basis for a prayer this morning. If you'd like to stand or sit, take your pick. You, Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in your house, O Lord. Good morning. <laughs> Our gospel scripture this morning comes again from Matthew. This time is chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments, that torments. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, Yes, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. 
Okay, we'll give you a challenge. We're going to recite to get in unison the Apostles' Creed. I dare you to read it out of the bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We all learned that a little bit differently in catechism, didn't we? <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know all belongs to you. We know that you created this entire universe. You thought it into being. You ordered it, and it was done. And Lord, you allow us to share in that. We know it still will ultimately come back to you. But you let us, you share it with us. And you tell us that we need to share also, just with the same graciousness that you have shared with us. So we ask that the gifts that we give today be done with an open heart and be done so that others may come to know you, Lord. For there is no place that is more welcoming than to be with you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We thank you for that redeeming love. We thank you for your grace. It is far beyond what we can comprehend. We don't understand it, but we believe it. Thank you, Father, that <clears throat> This morning, you will speak to us your words of truth. You will plant that truth deep in our hearts. And you will encourage us and sustain us by your great grace. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon title this morning is Children of God. This is part three in a series entitled Bloodborne. Our text this morning is from Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> this morning we're continuing the catechism we started last week. If you didn't grow up Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, or mainstream Presbyterian, you might not be familiar with the term. But according to Mr. Webster, a catechism is a summary of the precepts or doctrines of the Christian faith in the form of questions and answers used for instruction. We can never have too much instruction in God's Word. Today we'll focus our study on blood atonement. We will start with the blood sacrifices offered under the Old Covenant. In other words, the Law of Moses. Tom, would you show us that video, please? The Tabernacle, Hamishkan. The Hebrew word means dwelling place. It was where God dwelled with his people, and its elements show us how to relate with God. After delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God gave them detailed instructions on how to build this dwelling. Once constructed, the Lord descended on the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud. Curtains separated the whole tabernacle from the rest of the Israelite encampment. 
In this courtyard was the tabernacle's largest piece of furniture, the altar. A wooden box covered with bronze. The altar was shaped as a square, measuring approximately seven and a half feet long and seven and a half feet wide. From top to bottom, it stood about four and a half feet. Hollow space inside the box allowed priests to insert coals. Above was a bronze grating where priests would lay animals for sacrifice. A horn of one piece with the altar stood at each corner. Four bronze rings under the ledge allowed one to insert carrying poles so the Israelites could transport the altar. Between the altar and the tent of meeting was a bronze laver. Priests had to cleanse their hands and feet here before offering sacrifices or entering the tent. Within the inner tent stood one of the most recognized elements of the whole tabernacle, the menorah, a lampstand with three branches that rose on each side to create a total of seven lamps. This solid gold lampstand weighed about 75 pounds. Each lamp was a small cup that the priest would fill with oil to fuel the light. Each branch in the middle of the shaft had almond blossoms. The menorah served a most practical purpose. It was the only source of light in the tent, an eternal light that was never to go out. Also in the tent stood a wooden table covered with gold. On it was to always remain the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence symbolizes God's desire to be with his people. Incense was to burn continuously on the altar. God instructed the priests to replenish the incense every evening and morning. A curtain separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The menorah, the altar of incense, and the bread of the presence were all in the holy place, but outside this veil. Like the curtains covering the tent of meeting, this veil was blue, purple, and scarlet, with cherubim, a kind of angel. Beyond the veil at the far end of the tabernacle was the ark. The ark was a wooden box covered with gold. It was nearly four feet long. Its width and height were about two feet, three inches. Like the altar, the ark had rings and poles so the Israelites could carry it as they traveled. Within the ark were the two stone tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments. Later, it contained a sample of manna and the rod that bloomed to reinforce Aaron's leadership. The mercy seat was the ark's lid and features prominently on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. At each end stood a cherub facing the other with its wings outspread. This cover was made of solid gold. The priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on this mercy seat, symbolizing that the nation's sins were covered for another year. While only the high priest would see it, the mercy seat was the key symbol of atonement that God would forgive his people. Though daily sacrifices on the altar were necessary for payment of sin, it was only through the mercy seat on the day of atonement that the stain of sin was washed away. While priests had to make repeated sacrifices, one man offered a sacrifice to atone for sin once and for all. When Jesus, the Messiah, died, he sprinkled his own blood before God, securing atonement forever. 
for all who would trust in him. Jesus cleanses us, makes us pure, and enables us to rightly approach the Lord. He tore the veil that kept distance between Israel and the Lord. God dwelled among the Israelites through a tent. Now, he dwells within his people through the Spirit. The animal sacrifices required by the law of Moses were imperfect. They were never intended to provide salvation. Rather, they were intended to reveal our sin and show us our need of a Savior. Slide one, please. St. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29 from the Living Bible. Until Christ came, we were guarded by the law, kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could believe in the coming Savior. Let me put it another way. The Jewish laws were our teacher and guide until Christ came to give us right standing with God through our faith. But now Christ has come, and we don't need those laws any longer to guard us and lead us to him. For now we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we who have been baptized into the union with Christ are enveloped by him. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free men or even merely men or women. But we are all the same. We are Christians. We are united in one Christ Jesus. And now that we are Christ, we are the true descendants of Abraham and all of God's promises to him belong to us. The old covenant and its sacrifices were a foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice of Christ and the new covenant. Slide two, please. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Slide three, please. Continuing in verse 14b, for the power of the eternal spirit, Christ, offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the, the eternal inheritance God has promised them. 
For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under that first covenant. Underline this. Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that that person who made the will is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. Remember that. Slide four. Verse 18. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, the Ten Commandments, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using a hyssop branch and scarlet wool. He sprinkled everything and everyone. And then he said, This blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, underline this, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Slide five. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified by blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far greater sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. Slide 6, please. Verse 26. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his death as a sacrifice. End of the age. What's that mean? Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to provide a Savior. Therefore, you could call Jesus' advent to this earth the end of the age of God's promise. And Jesus said of himself, I am the beginning and the end. Thus, he is the beginning and the end of not only the age, but of everything. Verse 27. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. This would be better translated to bring the consummation of their salvation to those who are eagerly waiting. 
Continuing our catechism Q&A from last week. Slide seven, please. Here is question number four. What distinguishes the old covenant from the new covenant? The answer, three parts. A, the old covenant was based on the law and its effectiveness was based on man's faithfulness to that law. The new covenant is based on God's faithfulness. B, the old covenant was mediated by Moses. The new covenant is mediated by Jesus Christ. C, the old covenant required the blood sacrifices of animals for temporary forgiveness of sins, while the new covenant provides the perfect sacrifice once and for all eternity, the blood of Jesus Christ. Slide 8. This was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, this new covenant. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. This is speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. This prophecy is partially being fulfilled in our day, in the church of Jesus Christ. It will be perfectly fulfilled in the 1,000 year reign of Christ on this earth. This prophesied new covenant is that which the death of Jesus initiated. We read about this in Hebrews 9 verse 16. Remember that portion about the will. A will cannot take effect until the testator dies. Jeremiah 31 is our will from Almighty God in which he has deeded to us himself, his Son, and his Holy Spirit. We call that will the new covenant. Slide nine, please. Charles Spurgeon explains it like this. He says, stop just one moment and think it over. In the covenant of grace, God himself conveys himself to you and becomes yours. Understand it. God, all that is meant by that word, eternity, infinity, omnipotence, omniscience, perfect justice, infallible rectitude, immutable love, all that is meant by God creator, guardian, preserver, governor, judge, all that the great word God can mean. All of the goodness and love, all of the bounty and grace, all that this covenant gives you to be your absolute property as much as anything you can ever own. And here's how the author of the book of Hebrews puts it. 
slide 10. Hebrews 8.1. Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Jesus sat down. That's very important. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. There were no chairs in Solomon's temple. A Levitical priest work was never done. He had no time to sit down. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is finished. Your salvation is finished. It's already perfected. And you said, now, nah, wait a minute. My salvation won't be perfected till I die. I beg to differ. Hebrews 10, 14. For by that one offering he, Jesus, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Forever includes right now. And by the way, what is holiness? Now, I've preached on this before. I've asked you this before. What is holiness? Those who are being made holy, what are we talking about? Holiness is a process. Perfection is a state of being. Holiness is wanting God and nothing else. You are forever perfect because of Jesus Christ. When the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. And because you are in Jesus, you are perfect now and forever. You are presently being made holy, but you are presently and forever perfect in Jesus Christ. In Scripture, the word forever means an age with both a beginning and an end. Your beginning and your end are both in Jesus. Your beginning never ends, and your end keeps beginning forever. The word forever occurs 339 times in the Old Testament, 51 times in the New Testament. What's God trying to say to us? 390 times God tells us, when I say forever, I mean forever. God is time. He moves through time like you and I walk between the kitchen and the living room. He exists in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time because he is time. In God's eyes, your salvation is finished, perfected, signed, sealed, and delivered yesterday, today, and forever. Your salvation is eternal because he is eternal. And that should put a smile on your face. That should make you say amen. Revelation 13.8 says Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. Think on that. 
And likewise, your salvation and your eternity were secured before the foundation of the earth. Can I hear another amen? Back to Hebrews 8.1. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand as he answers every prayer. Think on that. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's answering every prayer prayer because his work is finished that's why he's seated he has already made provision for your every need everything you will ever need is already in the bank all you need is the password have you forgotten that password is j-e-s-u-s uppercase Our God is he who knows the beginning from the end because he is the beginning and the end. It's really hard for us to wrap our heads around this fact. It's hard for us to comprehend a God who knew every moment of human history before it began. And he knows every moment of the future. Just read Revelation. The all-knowing God thing, it really boggles our minds. But this is where we Cumberlands differ from the rest of Presbyterianism. We don't believe the hyper-Calvinist teaching that God counts on his fingers, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I'll save this one, I'll damn this one. We do not believe that. The all-knowing God already knew every soul that would receive the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts. And therefore, he chose us before time began. Slide 11. Romans 8, 29 and 30 from the Living Bible. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son, so that his son would be the first with many brothers. And having chosen us, he called us to come to him. And when we came, he declared us not guilty, filled us with Christ's goodness, gave us right standing with himself, and promised us his glory. Promised us his glory. What's that mean? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, Scripture tells us as his face shone so brightly, the children of Israel told him, Moses, cover your face. We can't stand to look at you. Your face is as bright as the sun. The more time you spend in the presence of God, the more your face is going to shine. The more glory will be in your heart and on your face. Think about it. 
If you have Jesus in your heart, you already have his glory. And you say, yeah, well, preacher, right this moment, this, this morning, I can't say I feel all that glorified. It was tough to scrape myself off the sheets this morning. And that's okay. Because the things of the Spirit are not felt. They are known. And you cannot know until you believe. Feelings have nothing to do with it. Eugene Peterson. Feelings are notorious liars, especially in matters of faith. We live and move and have our being in Him. We live and move and share His glory through His Holy Spirit living in us. And unless you're spending an ample amount of time in God's presence, unless you're in His Word, taking time out of your day to sit before Him and listen, you'll have great difficulty knowing, believing, or ever feeling His glory. You feel the glory of God when your knowledge of God's presence in your life overflows into your emotions. This is called the joy of the Lord. And what did the scriptures say about the joy of the Lord? Nehemiah 8.10 The joy of the Lord is your strength. But again, life in the Spirit is not based on emotions. Your emotions are the expansion tank for when the joy of the Lord overflows your spirit into your heart. And everyone seated here this morning has been called to that joy. God has called you to His joy. You have been called to so many wonderful things. And Jesus called you. He called your name from his cross. And you say, no, 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 that's not right. Jesus didn't call me until July 1958. I remember it distinctly. Jesus called your name from his cross. You just didn't answer until July of 1958 or whatever date you remember. And you say, but how could Jesus call my name and millions of others from his cross? How? Really? He who spoke 300 billion galaxies into existence in a moment. And you wonder how the Lord Jesus could call your name from his cross. He who has given every star a name. Romans 8, 29 and 30 from the message. The Son stands first in the line of humanity which Father God restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Christ. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. You don't have to understand it. You just simply have to believe it. 
And if perchance you're here this morning, you're saying to yourself, you know, preacher, I'm not sure I've ever heard Jesus call my name. If that's so, talk to me after the service. By the grace of God, we can have a very personal conversation with the Lord Jesus every day of our lives. In summary this morning, anytime I do a wedding, I always introduce the couple to the Hebrew word ahava. Ahava is the Hebrew word for love. And it is used in many ways like our English word for love. It is used in a broad spectrum of meanings. It can mean God's love for his people, a husband's love for his wife, a parent's love for a child. But Ahava is always a derivative of the pure and holy love of God. Ahava, used in reference to how a husband is to love his wife in simplest terms, means, I'm not leaving without you. It means if the house is on fire and the roof is about to collapse and you're in a wheelchair, I'm not leaving. Either I will save you or I will perish trying. No matter what happens, I'm not leaving without you. If you remember the movie Titanic, James Cameron's version, there was one very poignant scene. The ship is going down. Half of it's already underwater. It's at a severe angle. And there was a scene of an elderly couple still in bed. Obviously, they're in the lower berths, the bowels of the ship. The bed is canted, and water has already come up to the foot of the bed. And the husband leans over and grabs his wife and smiles, and it's like, it's okay. All I ever wanted is to die in your arms. I'm not leaving without you. No matter what happens, I'm not leaving without you. There's another word I share with couples, a Hebrew word. And this Hebrew word is yod, Y-O-D-H, which means the hand of God. Specifically, the hand of God reaching down to save us. In Psalm 119, the word yod is used like this. Your hands, O oh God, made me and formed me. When I am afflicted, you will help and comfort me. These two words paint a picture of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love for his bride, we, the church. And in this picture, Christ is saying, no matter what comes, I am with you. I will save you. No matter what comes, take my hand. I will never forsake you. Let us pray.
Lord, expand our minds. Set us free from the shackles of our limited understanding. Help us understand the width, the length, the height, the depth of your love for us. Help us get a grip on this thing called grace. Help us understand this thing called mercy. Help us understand that mercy is that which we do not deserve. But grace is to have that mercy lavished on us. We bless your name. We praise your name you have lavished upon us your mercy, your love, your great grace. And Father, expand our hearts. Fill our lungs with the wind of your Holy Spirit. A hunger for your word and a passion to speak that word to the lost. To speak that word in comfort to those who trust in you. To speak. Lord, just to speak your truth. Remind us that's why we're here. To glorify your great name. And spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you all. Thank you.
pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. Peace.